Oh, I'm back on the ridge walk today. Absolutely stunning once more. Beautifully blue sky and just a thin high cloud. Rather more evidence of um, aircraft flying at them now compared with how it was only a few weeks ago, which I guess is a good sign. I'm just walking through the wheat field and uh, it's all ripening up really nicely. say a few words about a couple of talks that I've heard recently <clears throat> and uh, I may well later add the links um, in the description um, as I normally publish while I'm on the walk uh, I don't really necessarily do a lot of linking most of the time but anyway there were two <clears throat> excuse me there were two uh, two talks that I've listened to recently that were uh, great. First of all, great talks, but they they seem to point me in the same direction. Uh, uh, one was a talk that's actually on YouTube. It's um, it's recorded by a monk in. Uh, Shasta Abbey in California uh, and she's reminiscing she was reminiscing uh, talking about her her teacher uh, Reverend Master Jiu who founded the order that I'm a lay member of and um, it was very interesting to me because she was talking about how she was dealing over the years with some quite deep scars almost, feelings of um, being unloved and this sort of essential doubt that I think is something common to an awful lot of us. And uh, I find it, I find it very, very interesting, um, because if you look at the Zen stories, doubt comes up a lot. Uh, it's a significant theme. People dealing with what they call the great, great ball of doubt that you can neither swallow nor spit out. Uh, I think actually sums up the feeling of training with doubt, living with doubt really well because you can't deny it and equally you can't solve it in the conventional kind of intellectual way you can't explain it away, think it away, excuse it away pretend it doesn't matter 
I guess we can distract ourselves and quite often do, but it doesn't actually get rid of that central issue if it's if it's central at the moment. And uh, I think that whole thing is really interesting. Uh, in the context of another talk, Reverend Master Daishin, who's the uh, quite relatively recently retired abbot at Throssel, where I go up in Northumberland when I'm able, um, there was a talk which he gave a couple of years ago, which hasn't appeared on the internet until now. And it was posted on the Throssel blog uh, and in the Dharma Talks section of their website. Um, that was a little while ago now, a few weeks ago. It's a two-part talk, two half-hour parts. Um, and uh, Reverend Master Daishin talks about... He expresses things uh, as first-order and second-order activity. Uh, second-order activity is kind of day-to-day um, but it's also I think second-order activity is about um, non-central motivations in a way um, to some extent we do things we do we do stuff because we need to because we have to uh, you know we have to wash ourselves we have to eat uh, and obviously that's great life would be rather miserable not to mention short if we weren't doing those things so, uh, so there's secondary activity, and it's also uh, there's also primary activity, which is activity sort of, if I can put it this way, it's sort of coming from the centre outwards. Uh, it's acting from a deeper level. Uh, coming from the deepest part of our heart and our gut. And a theme that I'm interested in, I think I've touched on before, is there's a tendency for a variety of reasons for us to wish for heaven uh, a kind of idealism which thinks which tries to make the earth perfectible or thinks of the earth as being perfectible and therefore tries to make it perfect in one way or another and I think Generally, it's pretty clear that although there is definitely a place for trying to improve things, if you're coming from a place of insufficiency, this need to make things perfect before we can live in harmony and happiness, then you're kind of missing the very first question, which is, does this even make sense? Is this world perfectible? And if it is, well, actually, I think it isn't. 
But if it isn't, what are the consequences of that? And how is it possible to live in an imperfect world? And this touches on all sorts of really quite well-known and uh, well-argued questions like the existence of evil in the world and so on. Although I wouldn't presume to argue from a theological perspective, because I'm, I don't really have any academic, uh, well, almost interest in this stuff. <laughs> I'm not really interested in arguing from an ac academic perspective. Uh, for me, that's sort of leaving, keeping this all at arm's length which I think is probably a virtue in academia. But uh, there's no way that I want to keep myself at arm's length from the truths of Buddhism. So if that means I can't be an academic, then fine. Um, so in Buddhism, This question is approached in different ways, and I, I guess that's because everyone's question, everyone's spiritual question, is about, in a sense, unsatisfactoriness. I think there's a, I think dukkha is the Sanskrit word for that, and that's seen as a, in Buddhism, I think generally it's seen as a, an attribute of the Saha world, which is the world of changes, the world of samsara, which is where we in fact live. Uh, we don't live in heaven. And an attempt to make earth heaven is making a couple of really serious errors. The first is that, actually, by its nature, this world is not perfectible. And secondly, very significantly, that's okay. Uh, it's okay for things to be what they actually are. Uh, doesn't mean we don't change things, but I think it's a really important thing to recognise that what we're doing is we're changing things from one state of imperfection to another and that's okay you know, uh, rather like the theme in the sense of these talks is actually everything we do is brilliant and is a mistake there are you could say that every talk I give has, a, has the brilliant nature and has the mistake nature. It is both. Similarly, everything that we do has those. So I suppose what I'm saying is that 
problems and issues relating to non-perfection are only problems and issues if we adhere to this idealistic uh, concept of things should be better than they are. And there's quite an important distinction between things are as they should be right now and things are perfect. Those two things are very different and that's why we get up in the morning and that's why we make our beds and that's why we shower and that's why we do the work that we do and everything else. And obviously in order to to see that, I think we all see that to some extent. I think many of us see it a lot of the time, but we have things, we have sticking points where we we kind of bump over the points or even run into little walls because we just can't accept certain aspects of things. And very often those are aspects of ourselves. So we spend our lives weirdly, not necessarily consciously, flipping between acceptance of imperfection and demanding perfection. And sometimes that is of ourselves and that obviously leads to suffering because we're, we're actually being unreasonable with ourselves. And again, I'll say it, I'll repeat it, that's, that's different from saying that we should not make an effort to do the right thing to, you know, and that might mean potentially improving ourselves in various ways. It certainly means, I think, insofar as we're sensible looking after ourselves, making sure that we eat well and exercise sufficiently and enable ourselves to actually be present and turn up for the good things that we need to do. So again, coming back to the the talks, I think very often these questions, these big questions that we carry around with us sometimes are they're kind of absolute questions. So for, for the monk concerned, the question that she was talking about was a feeling of being unloved. And there's something, you know, that's a sort of binary yes, no, absolute feeling and question. And I think because of that, it partakes of this idealistic um, things should be things should be right, things should be good. And looking at myself, because again, I think you can only really look at this from a personal perspective and. I think we sh we share our experiences in this because we are 
we're all human beings and I think these things are common to almost everybody to some extent you know uh, looking at this it feels I was trying to think of a metaphor and it's almost like you can feel a knot in the wood you can feel this disturbance in the smooth grain of things and I think most of us have had experiences where it's, we felt bad and things have not worked out as we wished uh, sometimes that can happen very early in life and it really can feel like there is a a gap, an insufficiency, uh, a kind of dark knot in the in the smooth grain of the wood, and that that can remain that feeling of scarring, if you like, that feeling of a disturbance can stay with us. And again, it becomes part of our story, and it becomes something that we try to maybe compensate for in various ways. You can run towards it and make it into a kind of pillar of our existence. For good or ill, sometimes that is not necessarily a bad thing. In, in truth, in uh, looking at things as a whole. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who've started charities and institutions to help people as a result of their own very bad experiences and that's a that's an example of of using that energy that impetus for for good or it can be can't be complacent about this stuff but that can be a very good thing and Sometimes there's an attempt to cover it up. And sometimes there's a, unfortunately, there's a wish to show control by actually repeating the error. And I think, you know, sometimes if somebody's been in a state of powerlessness and abuse, then sadly one of the ways that people deal with that sometimes is by making themselves feel powerful and putting themselves on the on the wrong side of things by actually perpetrating abuse on others which is unfortunately I think quite a common thing So in terms of how we deal with this, because I think we've all got these knots and dings and scars and difficulties to some extent. Well, I think what Reverend Master Daishin was talking about with the first order activity is actually central to this. In a sense, the first order activity is to sit with 
those problems with with that with those knots in the wood and not to not to do anything to them in a sense just be with them and again it's always just be still with whatever is there and sometimes it's easy these things sometimes are with us for so long and are so familiar to us that we actually lose sight of them we're no longer really aware of them and therefore to some extent our behavior can become inexplicable to ourselves the origins of these things can be obscure and rather unusually rather than any kind of analytical approach although there's a definitely a place for that the central approach that buddhism particularly zen has to this is to sit still so you find that stillness and feel whatever is there and if you if you look carefully sometimes that means letting down the, the blinds which we used to hide this stuff from us again I'm not suggesting we go and scrabble around looking for problems but let's not be closed to the possibility that there might be something in a sense asking for kindness and just being still in a sense listening it's an incredibly kind thing to do To me is that's motivated by first order activity and that is first order activity in fact and I think there is there's a kind of there is a time aspect to this there is a healing process that goes on even though we don't necessarily understand it but also for me, just the act of doing that in itself feels healing. It feels better. There's something there's something comforting. It's in a sense, and I suppose it's not surprising. In a sense, we are comforting those problems, those those knots in the wood. And in doing that, we ourselves are comforted. So there is a kind of generosity, a very broad, warm, open, and still generosity, which incorporates all of us, all of ourselves, every knot, every wrinkle in the grain, every crack, every sign of experience and age, you could say every wrinkle on the face. In order to do this, we have to let go of perfection. But weirdly, 
when we do this, when we let go of perfection, there's the possibility of recognising the perfection of things as they are. Reverend Master Daishin says in his talk, in order to become Buddha, you have to be Buddha. <clears throat> and actually sitting with complete acceptance and with that generosity of spirit is an important aspect of being Buddha. In fact, every oh, ouch! Sorry, just got myself caught up in some brambles. And I think every wholehearted step in training is actually precisely. Becoming Buddha, being Buddha. I remember someone saying that Reverend Master Jiu used to say to people, just do, do your best. And how that sounds like a rather mundane thing to say, but when you actually look at that and are faced with the reality of that, it actually means no excuses. It's not even recognizing the need for any excuses. You're doing your best at this moment. So simultaneously exacting and demanding and difficult, but it's also acceptance. Accepting our limitations of this of this moment. And weirdly when we do that, these are no longer limitations, they're just the truth. So I'm just picking my way through some nettles here <laughs> near the very top of the walk, so I'm puffing away. Hopefully not too annoyingly in the microphone here. So anyway, uh, I guess this is an opportunity to say thank you to the monks concerned. And making those teachings, both in terms of giving them and also making them available, giving them up on the internet. And I guess in practical terms I would say once again that there's some really good resources out there, loads of different places teaching Zen and Zen meditation. And it, uh, 
then is for me the most direct way to find the the stillness which actually lets you hear listen to and accept these difficult things it's it's not an easy thing but it absolutely feels like the right thing to do and the worthwhile thing to do so for me I'm just going to keep on keep on sitting keep on learning so uh, yes I'll put some links when I get home into the description and uh, for now I shall carry on walking and I hope wherever you are you have an excellent day and you stay well.